Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get started. Hello, folks. Edition two of the Barrels Washburn podcast. Um, another exciting week of Celtics basketball and NBA basketball because it's a lot of exciting games, um, a lot of amazing performances. And the Celtics, well, uh, up and down a little bit, but a couple of, you know, uh, good wins, but a couple of interesting and losses. Um, games that they could have won but didn't perform as well as they could have. And, um, you know, a, a team that just seems to be just so up and down this year. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll bring in the great Dana Barrows, uh, three-point specialist, former all-star, all-time great BC player. Uh, Dana, how are you? And first, and, and we definitely want to get – we want to do this every week. We want to get one of your favorite memories. So I'm going to ask you one of your favorite all-time memories, or and we're going to talk about this time the Big East. So Dana, how you how you doing? Uh, great to have you again. Uh, definitely, always a pleasure to be here, bro. Um, and okay, that's a, a great memory in the Big East. Um, I would say, other than playing so many great players. The only time we ever beat Georgetown was a buzzer beater at the garden that I hit um, when they were like two or three in the country. So um, that's one of my greatest moments because for the, for the one and only time the garden was packed for us, <laughs> I hit yeah. a game that was, that was awesome to be able to do that. And at that time they had Mutombo and morning at the same time and in, 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 uh, on the same team. So it was crazy. I mean, if the younger fans don't understand the big how amazing the Big East was, I mean, in the 80s and the 90s, I mean, you're talking about Georgetown. I mean, we're not even t- and BC was on that second tier, but then they, I mean, you first it was Michael Adams and it was you like BC had ballers too, but you had Georgetown, Villanova, Syracuse, Pitt, BC. I mean. Seton Hall, St. John's. I mean, every game, every game, a battle and a rivalry. I mean, it was not, there was no two teams in the Big East that liked each other. I mean, it was like every game was, it seemed like was a war. And people ask me covering the Celtics. um, I knew Mike Gorman because I grew up on the West Coast. In the West Coast, we had Big Monday and 
which was the ESPN game. They would show a, a Big East game. Then I think they would show like a Big Ten game. And they called it right. Big Monday. But when we got home from school at like 4.30, the big, we were in the Pacific time. The Big East game was already on. So right. we would get home from school or a cot and you would see it was BC and Pitt or Villanova, Georgetown. Like that's, and there was Gorman doing those games. So yeah. as much as Gorman is a Celtic guy for the people here, for me, he's the dude who, who was like the big Monday guy. And every Monday, it seemed like an intense rivalry between whatever teams, whatever two teams, they were going at it. Definitely. I mean, I remember Big Monday was, I think that literally made ESPN. That was the number one show on ESPN the first five years of its existence. Then it expanded out to Tuesdays and Wednesdays and this, but the Big East was Monday. Big Monday, I remember watching Pearl Washington, you know, playing against at the Garden against St. John's or it was like you said, every week it was just, you know, and I remember back to back years, we had three teams in the final four. And then the next year after that, we had two teams in the final four and those two teams played for the championship. So it was, it was domination in the NCAA. And it was almost scary because they kind of targeted Georgetown because they had that, that hood military mentality, you know, and they yeah. started talking to Georgetown and John Thompson in terms of it's, it's too much ghetto, it's too much hood with the high sneakers. And, and they became, that became, became kind of their, um, their motto, okay, us against the world. We, we the bad guys, let's go. And now they were like the Raiders of the, of the uh, NCAA, man. But it was all love. I loved it. It, was, it prepared me so well for the league, man. I mean, I, I would assume, I mean, you played against countless NBA players who played in the Big East. I mean, that was just a breeding ground. And I think the Big East also made East Coast basketball. Um, just back then, it was, you know, with Jordan, it was Carolina and all that, Kentucky. But then suddenly in the late 80s, all the attention moved to like the Northeast. Like that's where every baller around the country watching ESPN, watching Big Monday, wanted to play. I'm sure BC recruited probably a handful of guys from other places because people saw BC play with you and, and other guys on uh, Big Monday. What was like the um, intent, like when you're that young and you're playing, do you even realize kind of like the the intensity level? How, like you said, how did that toughen you up and prepare you for the league when you're 18, 19 years old and you're playing just such a high-level game, packed crowds, fans yelling stuff at you. What was that like? It was an amazing experience because I remember my senior year during the tournament, you know, there was some pretty big crowds and I never watched the crowd until I saw some pictures. And then being able to play at the Garden as a freshman, I remember I had to start myself and Jamie Benton were going out, he got hurt. And I ended up starting right at the beginning, of, right out the gate. So there wasn't time to even think about it. And I remember the first five or six games, we went to a Christmas tournament and we played against Muggsy Bogues in Wake Forest. And we played against Chuck Person in Auburn. So right out the gate, my freshman year, I'm playing against, like you said, NBA players. They weren't even in the Big East at the time. So once the Big East season started, man, it was just like hands on deck every day, every game. It was like being in the league. I, I was, you know, I say it's like the G League. So 
man, it just prepared me. Like I said, every game, I was Charles Smith, I Pearl Washington, Mark Jackson was at St. John's. Um, there was every every team had a guard. Billy Donovan was at Providence. You you go down the line. So um, yeah, and everything was in that in that East. That's why you said Big East, the Eastern basketball. And I remember my parents could drive to every single Big East game. Washington, you know, uh, Villanova. They could just get in the, in the car and drive to the game. So um, yeah, that's the one thing that the Big East can never recreate. Man, was that that Northeast we the best mentality. What do you think BC has been currently is trying, been trying to get back. I mean, they had a couple of good runs. I mean, they had NBA players with Jared Dudley and Craig Smith and Reggie Jackson uh, over the last like decade, decade, 10 or 15 years. Uh, Cause Dudley's now retired. What does, what do you, when you observe BC back, what could it ever get back to where it was making tournaments? Like when you were there, when it was, when it was a national factor, is it because it seems like the Boston area, and we could talk about this because you were from here. Like, whenever there's a kid that is 13 or 14 years old that's from Boston that can play, some prep schools grabbing them and taking them out of Boston, the, the area in New Hampshire or Vermont or Connecticut, and he's playing there. Um, and like Boston doesn't produce the ballers because but by, by the time they get to a certain age, like these prep schools around here, take them like, and could, what could BC get return to where it's a national factor? Well, I mean, I think it's a big job. And um, I, I spoke with, and I actually, Earl Grant, the new coach asked me to come on and, and I told him I would come on from the standpoint and do some consulting from the alumni standpoint, because me being an alumni, I just really didn't have a connection with the school. And that's the one thing that I think is most important for, for you know, the university going forward is what I told Earl is we got to get the guys who were here, who played here, whether they made it to the league or not, those guys got to get back involved. And that's, to me, my most important goal because you can't go forward until you recreate. Well, we can't re until you bring those guys back in the fold. And it can help us so much, you know, get better from that standpoint. So, he understands it's a big job, bro. It's a big job. And, um, but it starts with recruiting in our own area. And from the standpoint of what you said of kids coming through, I just remember speaking to Earl when he was hired, he came to my gym twice. It's out the blue. We had long conversations, real conversations about everything. And, um, he was telling me that he was reaching out to players and they were seniors. And he said they were from Boston. And he said that they hadn't ever heard from BC. And these kids have been stars for two and three years and the previous coaches hadn't even reached out to these players. So he's just, from a standpoint, he's starting from behind, you know, he didn't even have enough players to field a full team. He had, they didn't recruit that, you know, so yeah, he's been big rubble, man. You know, and um, I give him a lot of credit. I've been to practices. I've been to games. Um, he's putting the work in, but recruiting is the most important thing. And I think, us players spread out across the country can help him get those players from their states, whether it be Boston or Troy Bell from the Minnesota, St. Louis area, or, you know, Spoonie Penn or whatever. We can all pitch in and say, hey, we're legit now. We, we got new facilities coming. So that's what's needed, you know, for, from the standpoint of just a foundation, the facilities was the most important thing, and that's getting taken care of now. So you know, there's, there's a little base going, but we'll see how it goes and hopefully Earl can turn it around, you know? 
I'm, 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 you know, I'm cheering for him, bro. The one thing, Dana, that I noticed is that BC never plays at the Garden anymore. Like, how many of a recruiting tool would it be for BC to play three or four games or play a, you know, even a tournament or play some type of situation where they bring in a team from UCLA or Texas or somebody and play it at the Garden? I mean, that to me, to me because Conte Forum is a nice little college arena, but you're not going to get some of these dudes coming in and tour and, and when they don't fill the place, except when Duke and Carolina come, it seems like you could use the TD Garden. I don't know about the expenses or whatever as a kind of a recruiting base to say, hey, you can, because I remember Georgetown play where the, where, where the Bullets play, uh, Villanova play where the Sixers play, you play where the Celtics play. You guys were playing, when the, the teams in NBA cities were playing in NBA arenas. So you had that recruiting pitch. Like you was, you was playing where Barkley play you was playing where bird and mikhail play you was playing where elvin hayes and west unsell play like that it's got to be a recruiting chip yeah absolutely and i think um not only basketball but a lot of sports were overlooked in the previous administrations and that's what i'll i will give a lot of credit to the new ad pat graf pat craft who raised millions and millions of dollars and we're finally getting like a new practice facility where we are actually in the, and they're actually in their own space where they can actually recruit and have game rooms and places for the players to come and hang out and work out whenever they want. They're not sharing the actual gym with volleyball or baseball or other teams. So again, like I said, the foundation, that's, that's one of the biggest things. So I give them a lot of credit for that, but again, it's just going to come down to who's on the court, you know, and uh, if we can't dominate the new England area, I think it's going to be difficult because we've had, a, like you said, a lot of Michael Carter Williams, Noel, and and then not even just a, the um, most recent Shabazz Napier and a bunch of different guys who didn't even consider Boston College, and that's that's a culture that has to change. So you know, hopefully, I can help them bring about a new culture because that's unforgivable, man. When you have five or six NBA players that didn't even consider coming to that that the home base, you know. I remember. Uh, during his uh, pre-draft interview, Georges Niang, who is now with the Sixers, who played three, four, five years with Utah, he, he came out the league from Iowa State about seven years ago. And he's, he's from Massachusetts and said his heart was set on playing at BC and they never recruited him. He ended up going to Iowa State. Like, that's un- inexcusable. You have an NBA caliber player. And, hey, he's not a great NBA player, but he's in the league. He's productive. He's doing his thing. He's been in the league five, six years now saying he wants to go to BC and said BC never really looked at him. And he ended up going to Iowa state being uh, all, you know, big 12 and all that getting drafted and now playing with the Sixers. So uh, it seems like there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of talent, you know, in the Boston area, you know, in terms of, but like I said, you don't see the emphasis. You see the emphasis on hockey, and but you don't see the high school hoops emphasis. And uh, unfortunately, there was a young man, Terrence Clark, who was from here, who recently, uh, unfortunately, died tragically. Who was kind of Boston's latest hope. Hopefully, uh, they can bring some kids and and have more kids come up, and then they could consider playing at the home school, Boston College, because I I, I do think. And I don't. I want to get your thoughts on this. Going to the ACC 
it brought more money, but man, it just robbed BC of their rivals. It robbed it of its kind of like the Virginia Techs and the Clemsons, like fans just think going to respond to that basketball wise. Like it, it just, it seemed like it was a good move for football really, but taking it out of the big East, no Yukon, uh, you know, Syracuse and Pitt. Okay. But like no Villanova, no Georgetown, like that really robbed the pro the basketball program of its identity. Definitely. They lost a lot of history. I mean, people don't even remember the history. The ACC really doesn't promote the history of Boston College in terms of its Big East past. And it's almost it reminds me of the Seattle Supersonics, where it's almost like they never existed. You know what I mean? A lot of those rivalries where you would play at the Providence Civic Center, you would play a Connecticut or a Providence at the Boston Garden instead of at the Conti Forum. You know, a lot of those New England things you would have packed houses. The, 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 the arenas would be full from a Boston College standpoint, which hasn't been for a while. And that's another thing that, you know, is an issue of them not playing at the Garden. It's, it's been difficult for them to fill out the Conti Forum. So I think in, in playing Northeastern and BU has been is, is kind of been taken off the map because of the losses to Harvard in the past four or five, you know. So yeah. there's so many issues, man. And I just, again, I just think from the standpoint of, dominating the new england especially the boston area is going to be essential for earl and as much as i can you know a lot of those players when they're young come through my facility you know people tell me yo that's the number one player that's the number da, 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 da. we have the gatorade 100 nationals the adidas 100 nationals there so i get to see all these guys and then you know my my guys will videotape certain games and say this guy's going to memphis just look at him take off on it you know, and it's just I get to see these guys kind of freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And, um, you know, hopefully we can create a culture where they, you know, know me not only for my NBA career, but I also went to Boston College and still represent, you know, what that stands for in the new culture, you know. And I want to get your thoughts on the young athlete, younger athletes. Like you were a high school recruit. You were looking at schools. I'm sure you had a list, a long list of schools before you committed to Boston College, and you had your list of priorities. What's important to me? Is it playing close to my family? Do I want my mom and my dad and my brothers or sisters or whatever to go see every game? Or do I want to get the heck out of Boston and go somewhere, see somewhere else? Do I want to get out of the hood? Do I want to stay home? Do I want to play for a renowned coach? Do I want to start as a freshman? All, the, all those things were important. What What's the difference now with young guys and gals when they come out and they're in high school? Because it seems like their priority thing is different. I mean, what what is what, what is it that you notice about young athletes that's important to them about where they might cho- choose to go to school? Yes, it's a different era because I know just from like an AAU standpoint, kids jump from team to team year to year. It's like, oh, they're giving out sneakers and uniforms. They'll leave and go play for this other team or that team because they're going to Philadelphia or they're going to Nevada and it's all free. And so there's a lot of that from these kids from the time they're in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Come play for me. You don't have to pay. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. So there's a lot of that going on very young for these kids. So then you get to college and then you go to these different universities and you go to Clemson and Duke and you see these unbelievable facilities right 
and then you come up to Boston College or you go to a different facility and it's not that. And to me, that matters so much. What sneaker contracts you have? What gear do you have? Like these things are like people. I remember because even back in the day, I remember people picking Syracuse because they wore the Air Force Knights. You know what I'm saying? Like they got the Air Force Knights and the Barclays and all this. I'm like, crazy. So there's there's so much of non-basketball factors that go into these kids nowadays. You know what I mean? Where's the campus at? What's the girls like? What's What's the like? It was. It's just, and then you can find out so many things instantly on Instagram now about a school. I don't even want to take a visit. I went on there and looked at this, and I saw this, and da, 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 you know what I mean. So, it's so much access for them to be able to be choosy because coaches can reach out to anyone at any time. When I, you know, when I was playing, there was no cell phones, no internet, so you can be seen at any point, any time. Post your own videos on YouTube. Create your own your own culture around yourself. And um, so I think it's, it's, it's more difficult um, now because the transfer portals with these colleges. So the kid now, like, yo, you didn't, I can't, you told me I was going to come here and play 29, get to play. I'm out. I'm in the transfer portal. So that's another thing that's been great for the kids to have another option, but it's hurting the universities and the coaches who aren't keeping up their, you know, ends of the bargain on making false promises as well. I mean, that's a thing that I just remember that you, every colleges, the players had an identity, like the player state, Grant Hill with Duke, Christian Leitner, like every kid had an identity because he was at college at least two years. The two years was the minimum, right? Because there wasn't no mean one and dones back in those days. I think it might've been like a Tim Thomas from Villanova was one of the first, like, going because it, it, it was one of those well if you went to college you were just going to stay at least two years mm-hmm. and you developed an identity you know you look at all around the like Ewing I mean obviously Ewing would have if it were now would have came straight out of high school or would have been a G-Town one year and then he would have left the same with maybe Mutombo um, maybe Alonzo Mourning because it was just such a different element but you you established an identity and that just helps you for your life. Like people still affiliate you with BC because they remember you playing a hundred games with BC, you know, right. the same with Michael Adams and say like, they remember you, you can't, you look, we look at the NBA now and you just like, I remember him playing in Kentucky. Like when, when did he, when was he at Kentucky? Like, cause these guys are playing like 26 games and then that's it. And you barely, they have, they, they've barely made a college memory. It's just, it's so interesting now, like you said, and now the transfer portal, these kids will play at three different schools and have no issue with it. Like they'll, you know, they don't, they don't mind. I'm going to transfer within the conference. Remember that was a get, Oh no, you don't transfer within the conference. You don't do none of that. That's true. You're a traitor. If you do that. Now these kids, I've seen a football player today, played at Stanford, committed to USC. Like, yo, you don't do that. But it's just so different. It just seems like college recruiting has got to be these days the most difficult job to, you know, you got to get these kids cell numbers. You got to follow them on IG. You got to see what they're talking about. You got to like, it just seems like it's almost impossible. Get to know their family, 
all of these things that it just seems like, and even in your job, where these young people come to you and they call you, you know, what's up, OG? And I guess that means respect or they call you boss or things and not Mr. Barrows. That's <laughs> not very, I'm sure that, I'm sure you don't hear that a lot. Like we were taught, call Mr. This. They just call you D. What's up, D? Like, well, huh? Like, <laughs> like what, Dana? Like, who, like you, a 13, 14 years old. Like, what's that like to deal with just the different, but, you know, they are who they are. They're raised who they are. They don't know any better, but it just seems like it's just so different. Yeah, I've been doing this since 88 when I had my first basketball camp. So I've I've seen so many kids who when they were 11, 12 year old, years old with these unbelievable phenoms and you see people are like, oh, we're going to the league, going to the league. You know, and by the time they're 14, two, three years later, they're not even playing anymore. They're overweight or they haven't grown anymore. They don't understand what it takes so this it's just it's a marathon, man. And these kids are getting into situations where it's so easy and, and quick for them. They can they can go play AU, do whatever they want. They go to college for one year, then they get to the NBA or they get to a situation where it's not easy. And then the adversity hits you. And I see so many people who don't understand how to deal with adversity, these young kids and these young players, man. It's just you don't like what it is. You want to move. You want to keep it moving and do something else or go somewhere else. And the discipline that it takes to be a 10-year a, a NBA player, I don't think is instilled in these kids anymore. It's just if a coach isn't playing you, if a, if a um, organization doesn't, you, you can just do whatever you want to do. Where now as you get to the league, it's like you got a contract, you get stuck in these situations. And it's to me, there's not enough – diversity in their games to be able to to deal with the adversity to me it's just and I tell parents all the time how come you know how come these kids can't shoot free throws and da, da, da. I say well damn like you need to look at it from their perspective I get it but I don't get it because if I'm if I'm 16 years old and I can take off and dunk from the free throw line you got to be a weirdo to practice free throws you know what I'm saying like, yeah yeah where there's not that we don't have the weirdos like we used to because they're so athletic now it's easy for them you know is the fundamentals the same like i think i mean i think about 30 35 years ago the fundamentals were stressed but also the athletes weren't the same um you know it's it just seems now that it's so different like i went to a high school game a couple days ago um and, you know, the, the skills, the skills are there. Like they watch, you could tell, Dana, they watch the NBA. Everybody want to be Steph. Everybody knows the Euro step. They know these things. They pick this stuff up, but it just seems like uh, the fundamentals aren't quite there. The free throw shooting, everybody wants to take threes. It just seems like the NBA game the positives, but also the negatives have spilled over to youth basketball to where these kids now are just like they're freestyling a lot. And a lot of it is just they practice moves. So they'll do it the James Harden step back move. They'll do that really well. Obviously, they don't make the shot, you know, but they just think everybody's, oh, yeah. and just, everybody's talking about the move. So there's so much more athletic. They have the skill to be so much more, you know, better all across the board. 
but they don't do, if I asked you to take the ball off the rebound and dribble the full length of the court with your left hand and make a left hand layup on the run, you can't do that. But you can do a James Harden between the legs behind <laughs> yeah. step, step back. I'm like, how can you do that and not do that? You know what I'm saying? So the athleticism is way, you know, we have five Michael Jordans on every team now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, only one air the way he could hang, but they're all as athletic, you know, but they just don't have, you could take them out of their game by doing one thing. They either shoot really well and you just get up on them and they don't handle well. They either handle really well and they're a slasher and they can't shoot. And then, you know what I mean? It's not, what are we going to do with this guy? You know, there's yeah. very few of them. There's very few of them coming up. And do you, do you is it, is it improving at all? Like is it, is the game, is it like I think the Curry fact we talked about this last week? The Curry factor really changed basketball because everybody wants to shoot threes and every little guy thinks he can ball, you know. Because it used to be if you were a little guy like yourself, a smaller player, you had to be fast, like you had to take somebody off the dribble, get to the rim. Like you can't, nobody could stay in front of an impromptu, you know, Dana Barros in his prime, and, and you could also shoot. Or you talked about Muggsy Bogues or some of these dudes, AI, like you couldn't stay in front of them. Like, is it, but is it, is it getting better now uh, with maybe some of the, some of the things, or is it still kind of like you said, raw? Um, some of these kids was like, like you said, I remember always being taught by my father, my late father, use your left hand. Don't quit dribbling with your right. Use your left, use your left, work on your left, work on your left. Now, it seems like some of these kids do, but some of them also, like you said, can't dribble the ball down the floor because they don't see they think they have to. They could be Ben Simmons. Like Ben Simmons doesn't know how to shoot. They're like, well, I make the league now how I want to shoot. Look at look at him. Yeah, I mean, it's all like to me, the game should be instinctual, but you see a lot, almost 95% of the guys dribbling down court when they get to half court. I'll say out loud or I say to myself, there comes a the Euro step. You're going to Euro step. Every single <laughs> person, no matter what the defense does, you're going to see them. Do, and it's just like they're doing moves. They're mm-hmm. not, oh, if he jumps, okay, I'm inside out instinctually. It's not Isaiah Thomas from 86 where he can he can do any move, but it only comes out off of, off of a counter reaction to what you're doing. You know what I mean? These guys get the ball back out five steps. And as they're backing out, they're like, okay, I'm going to do this move. You know what I mean? It's so mm-hmm. crazy. Just watch it. But the athleticism, it intrigues you because Russell Westbrook, for example, he'll make an unbelievable dunk on Rudy Gobert and while the whole arena will be electric, and but then he'll make four turnovers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most basic bounce pass, miss a left-hand layup. So you get the whole spectrum with this with this different generation, man, you get the oohs and the ahs of the super athleticism. And then you sit there and you're like, you taking a $40 million a year guy out the game. Cause he can't shoot free throw. Yeah. Like, this doesn't even match up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. It's, it's so ironic about you're watching the most amazing athletes in the world doing the most amazing things but yet cannot do the most simplest things that a fifth grader can do in any YMCA in America. It's crazy. Yeah. Speaking of Westbrook, you moved to the NBA. Like 
gets the Indiana Pacers. Like you said, he gets benched the last four minutes because he can't guard Karis LeVert. Like that's and when you're, uh, I, I know you played the league. NBA is a pride league. It's a it's a reputation league. How tough is that when you put together like the Lakers? Everyone ripped the Lakers in the offseason because they were signing everybody who was over thirty five. I mean, they, you know, Melo, Dwight. They brought back Trevor Ariza, and then they bring in Russ. Like they're they're they're, they're getting the thirty and over team with LeBron at the lead. They were hoping AD would remain healthy, and they was going. They were supposed to make a run here, but how tough is it when you have all those egos, and then you bring in a guy like Russ who is going to play his way? He thirty two. He thirty three years old. Russ ain't changing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, as we discuss. Not being able to change at that age gets you out the league because if you like, I look at Allen Iverson. Allen didn't want to, Allen didn't want to do the little things. He just wanted to be AI. He got older. He lost a step, and teams were like, "You, you, you, you don't want to. You're not going to start. You're not. You don't have that first step anymore. What good are you? Like even if we look at Carmelo, Carmelo had to learn. Remember when he laughed in Oklahoma City about coming off the bench? What like? Now, dude, you're a gunner. Like, that's who you are, Melo. You're not that 29 and 7 and 6 guy you were with the Knicks. Like, how tough is that when you are that – because that ego at that stage to, 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 to play and, and try to move, change your game and transform your game to win when you might be losing some, some game, some stuff? Well, it's, it's the most difficult – for an athlete because at LeBron and Westbrook and Carmelo's age, you're, you're thinking, okay, I've been able to do this and carry these teams for these years. And you can't carry them at your age anymore. You can play in spurts. You brought in Russell Westbrook and you got rid of your dogs on the perimeter who would do the dirty work. Schroeder didn't come back. You made an offer to him. Obviously he didn't come back. Case Pope is gone. Kuzma's gone. These were the young dogs who would get out on the wing. So LeBron and Carmelo didn't have to guard these young athletic wing slash players. And they could sit back and play the weakest guy on the floor, the weakest link and help here and there. That's not the case anymore. You went older to think, to think you're getting better. You got less effective on a perimeter, less shooting on the perimeter. And from a defensive standpoint, it's just atrocious. So bringing Russell Westbrook in, to me, is exacerbated by his mentality. He, When you're going through processes that he's going through of struggling, the, the most important thing is to slow down. He don't have that in his – he doesn't have that in his bag. He, he has one motor speed. He's in six speed. He's going full tilt. And when you're mentally struggling, you need to slow down. And he's even speeding up to me. So – this is a mental block with him. I don't, and sometimes it lasts a season. Sometimes it comes, they snap out of it, maybe all-star break, but this is a disaster. Him not playing the last two fourth quarters is, is only getting worse. And he didn't talk to the media last night. And if he did, we would be talking about a bunch of whole of this right now. Yeah. Because hot, he's hot right now, but. It's not working, and everyone knew it. Even me, I'm looking at it like, Russell, what's, 
you you know DeMar DeRozan or you know uh, get Dame Glitz like get somebody different you know like but man it's just it's bad and I can't even imagine that locker room Frank Vogel is is going to be probably the first one to be blamed for this when yeah. he probably had who would bring Westbrook there so yeah it's a mess man and you're you're too old to too old to pick up 94 feet and to, to try to change how you play, man. You, you're almost better off going to a zone and trying to save as much energy as you can from this standpoint and play a more solid game on a defensive end. Boy, I tell you, like, with a guy like Russell Westbrook, there, I don't remember any – maybe his teammate, Dwight Howard. I don't remember a more criticized guy who's going to the Hall of Fame like – Russ is going to the Hall of Fame. He's put up these numbers. People love his energy, but man, does he get like have so heavily scrutinized? And he and he and he and he asked for it with his style, his recklessness, the turnovers, especially as he's gotten older. He hasn't like uh refined his game. Right. He, he, like his game is still you know, <laughs> straight Hennessy, like straight, like ooh, you know. Russ gonna play how Russ play. <laughs> yeah, he, it's still straight in, no chaser, no no coke to level it off. It is like, and you see athletes, and I applaud LeBron for this. LeBron knows father time is kicking in. So what do I do? I become a better shooter, perimeter shooter. So he's become a better three point shooter. I get that step back down. I don't have to dunk on everybody and everything. I'll just lay it in. I'll do I'll, I'll master layups. Because it's too much energy to be just trying to go, you know, uh, two hands on dudes like I did when I was 23. And I just think that's what keeps you in the league. And it's like Russell, it seems like he's taking kind of like an express lane out of the league, but he's made so much money. You know, I mean, they paid him that $40 million. I think it was um, Oklahoma City a couple of years ago. It just, it, it, it like, I applaud and appreciate his game. I remember when he got drafted by the Sonics and went to the Thunder, you know, they became the Thunder and just that energy and that chip on his shoulder. But it's as we both know, like when you get to that early 30s, you definitely have to refine your game to stay around. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he just from the standpoint of his decision-making and the timing of the decision-making, I would be even okay. And I'm sure the fans wouldn't even remember the six turnovers in the first three quarters if you just didn't do it in the last eight minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he just would get off the ball in the last eight minutes, make one or two plays. And I think that we could all understand, okay, this is who he is, but he's not successful in his decision-making. We all understand who Allen Iverson was, who Spreewell were. You have to just let them go. You can't say, don't do this and don't do that. But they were successful when they were at their prime doing what they did. You know what I mean? This mm-hmm. this is just, he has that mentality, but the success rate in the decision-making is atrocious. You have Kevin Durant on the floor, you know, and you're dribbling down in the NBA finals and just give him the ball, bro. And it's just so, I think that's the thing the timing of his decision-making. And it's just at this point in his career, the chips are, the stakes are high because it's not just about him. LeBron James has his legacy. Anthony Davis got a big monkey on his back about him, him not 
you know, achieving what, what everyone thinks he should achieve. And he's affecting the other legacies in terms from their standpoint. So that's why to me, it's a big deal because he has not only his, he can say, I don't care about winning championships all you want, but you with that guy who needs as many as possible the next yeah. three years and be a hindrance to that. And Russ doesn't have a title. That's the thing. Everybody, all of his peers, besides Carmelo, all the dudes around him, even Dwight got a title. Um, LeBron got titles. KD got titles. All his contemporaries, all his guy, his rivals, all seem to have titles. And here's Russ, like, you know, still on that I'm on the man kind of island, but it's like that's not getting winning, you know, titles. And he right. if he retires without a title. He lived to that Barkley thing, that Carl Malone. Well, you were good, but you didn't win no title. Like, I'm sure. And as much as it uh, it wasn't Barkley's fault, he went to one championship, didn't win it, lost to Jordan. That still hovers over your head like you didn't get that ultimate prize. I mean, um, that's got to be – that's lingering. That's hovering over Russell's head. That's why, that's why he wanted to go to L.A. to, to thinking he thought he was the final piece – that puzzle, that's the thing. That's the crazy part is he was like, oh, I'm going I'm, I'm to do this. Like, this is, we, 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 we win it. And now he's realizing that he's the problem and he's trying yeah. to out of it. But that's, man, that's like, a, that's a, a mind, you know what? You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's in the twilight zone. He's like, uh, everybody's saying I'm the problem. I don't know how to fix it. So, but he's just speeding up, man. He just. Man, he's just speeding up. And I think Frank Vogel is in a real tough position because if he wants to win, he's going to have to do what he's been doing, not playing him in the last, you know, couple of minutes of the game. And then LeBron is going to have to handle that in the locker room, you know. Otherwise, you know, in the next week or so, another loss, two losses, Frank Vogel could be out of there, man. You know, it's just – it's getting ugly because I think the organization – you know, Rob Palenka, everyone from the organization is, at, is, is is on the table now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. About bringing Russ in and then hiring, keeping front, whatever. Now there, once you start putting the whole organization on the table, there's going to be a scapegoat, you know, and it's not going to be LeBron. Or, I don't think you can trade Westbrook, you know? No, not with that contract. With, 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 the, with the Celtics, uh, 500 record, they lost uh, the other night to the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte played well enough to win, but the Celtics, again, erratic from the three-point line, um, just did not, could not hit long-range shots, had a lot of open looks, especially Jason Tatum is one I wanted to talk about. Tatum is a guy coming off the Olympic experience, helping the U.S. to the gold medal. I was there. He was the second-best player in that team behind Durant. And then I would put him and maybe Drew Holiday was also very good for Team USA. So Tatum's coming off the gold medal, uh, wants to come into this season and have it a monster season, wants to be in the MVP talk, and he's struggling, like 31%. He's a career 39% three-point shooter, 31 this year. You're the expert at the three ball. Um, and five of his seven looks against Charlotte were open or moderately open where there was a light contest but he had a clear, clean right. look. What happens when, like, what do you do when you're struggling from three? Because obviously you took thousands of shots a day and it's a shot that it once, it, you know, 
I've seen I've seen, I've seen Marcus Smart in practice over the years take hundreds of three pointers. Twist, switch, 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 switch. You get into a game, he's thirty percent, right? right? Like, what's the difference between one hitting them in the game and hitting them in practice, and two when you're in a slump? How do you get out of that? How do you, Jason? It's been a season long slump. He's had a two for fifteen from three, a couple of one for nines, uh, just a two for ten, like. Stuff that's uncharacteristic. How do you? How does he get out of this? Well, getting to the free throw line is is important. But to me, I just don't think there's enough shooters on the floor. You know what I mean? If you're going to take that many threes, I think there should be more shooters on the floor. And it does. There's not a lot of space. Robert Williams is playing tremendously well on the def- defensive, and he's saving you in a lot of these games. So he has to be on the floor. So to me, I think Tatum is getting pushed out further and further. It's, it's getting harder. He has to work harder and harder to get to that mid-range to get his shot off. And even then, there's collapse, collapsing around him, or it's a fadeaway because, again, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so tight in there without the spacing on the floor. So he's moving further and further out, taking more and more threes. And, again, I said it in the last podcast, I look at the amount of threes they make. If they don't make 12 Minimum of 12 threes, I feel like it's going to be a problem because they take so many. So when we start off the games and it's, you know, one for eight in the first quarter, I'm saying, okay, if if this doesn't pick up in the second quarter, it's going to be an issue. Taking so many threes, I just think if Pritchard's not on the floor, Al doesn't take him as many, take as many or make as many as he used to. Shrouder and Smart are – okay shooters when their feet are set and they have time. They're not a catch right off the dribble and shoot the ball. And a yeah. lot some of them, that's the shots they're taking. That's why the percentage is dropping down. So to me, man, you just, when you have two guys like that, you need, even if they're on the bench, you need to go, all right, we got to, we got to put in two or three knockdown shooters, man. You got Miami has Duncan Robinson and Hero and You know what I mean? You just go down the line and that's why Embiid is in, in Philly to me, Bringing Steph Curry in was huge. They had J.J. Redick before that. Even with Ben Simmons there, they, you know, they still had those guys around him. So, man, it's just to me, he's going to continue to struggle. And then maybe to, and I know when I played and getting double teamed constantly off pick and rolls, I would play the clock in the foul situation. So if I know the next foul is in the penalty and there's three minutes left in the quarter, I'm running into any and everyone. Maybe you get six out of eight, okay? But that's six, that's 12 free throws. You know what I mean? Six mm-hmm. out of eight. And you have to score your points in different ways. I would say, okay, I wouldn't even try to score in the half court. But when the ball comes off the rim and it's the open floor, I'm running, I'm getting three charges because I'm getting to the rack to get these free throws because um, they're not letting me play. And to me, that's where... The open floor and the clock in the free throw game, the bonus situation game, is where I would get six to eight points a game just playing that, you know, foul situation game to me. And that's why the great scorers average 10 to 12 free throws a game, you know, the top scorers in the game, because they know how to play that situation. So I don't think it's going to get better with the way they play um, unless they shoot better. You know, the guys around him shoot better in my in my uh, opinion. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score. Um, 14 for 46 from the three-point line and a combined two for 18 from Brown and Tatum. Um, the rest of the guys were fine. 
you know, but it just seems like they're so reliant, like you said, on the three-point shot that you've got to have more elite shooters to play that type of game where you're three-pointing teams out the gym. like, And you're not getting up 16 threes up to the other team. Because exactly. Now the 14 is nothing, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's an issue. I think to me, like I said all along, they got away with it being successful by having a really, really good defensive team. When you had Morris, Brown and Tatum were younger, you had a really good defensive out in dirty, dirty, grimy, you know, up, up in your face defensive team that could make up for that. You know, I don't think you have that right now. You just, you know, you're playing NBA league basketball, you know, run and chuck. That's across the board in the league. And when you're, when you, even the best shooters get in this, like Steph is now in a slump. I mean, he's shooting 39% from three, which is great for 90% of the league. But for him, that's low. When you are like, you know, when you are a dude who shoots a thousand jumpers a day, 99 of them, 100, 900 of them go in and you start slumping. What do you like? What? Wait a minute. I work too hard to be slumping. Like, what is going on? Why is this shot not going down? These are the ones I take in my sleep. How do you like how tough is that mentally when you are like wide open claim. Like when you've had your slumps, what's going through your mind? The one thing that I was, I was blessed with was like, I wanted to know the best way to shoot, the best technical way to shoot. So when I started, when I would have a slump, before I actually learned the exact technical way I, that you're supposed to shoot, I would look at the film and then I would say, damn, that seems slower than the other one, you know? And that's how I would say. But once I got to the point where when I when it's short, I'm holding the ball too long. But before that, I would watch film. I would watch my free throw. And I would shoot the ball and I would go like this because I didn't feel comfortable when I was shooting the ball. And mm-hmm. I would say, damn, this coming in and I'm going like this a little bit. And to me, I would always go back to the technical aspect of, the, of how I'm shooting the ball, releasing the ball. Am I jumping higher? Am I not jumping higher? I would always go back to that because I didn't want to play the mental game. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to say anything other than it has to be technical because it's supposed to be going in. So I have to be doing something wrong. And that's what I always fell back on. But um, and I honestly, I didn't when I get in those situations, I didn't go in the gym and take an extra thousand. I would sit on the couch with the ball. And I would just shoot the ball straight up in the air and watch the laces spin. Hmm. And if they spun perfectly straight, then I knew that my release was straight. If I went like this, the ball would spin to the left or the right. And that's what I would do. I would technically go back to the foundation of my shot. And then when I get to the gym, I felt like I would be, you know, better from that standpoint. So it's a, it's a, um, it's a mind thing because it seems like since Steph broke the record, he's been going downhill ever since. Um, Clay is back, and you think that would open the floor up more for him. But teams are also playing on the side of him. Like I'm watching them, they're literally playing on the side of him, forcing him to drive and giving him the lane to drive. Mm-hmm. But he's he's realizing that, so he'll take the force and then he'll take a step back and still try to get the three off, which is a difficult shot. Yeah, and that. Before, 
your legs are stronger. You're every night you're ready to play. At 33, you just can't do that every night, bro. Well, let me ask you about young kids. What will you suggest? Okay, so Curry changed the game. So he's making 30 footers. Then Dane's making 30 footers. Would you suggest that young players start shooting those types of third? I remember like growing up, it's out of your range. What are you doing? Get right back around the hoop, around a circle, the free throw line, start from there, and then go out. Now, the 30-footer is a common shot. Would you suggest that young players practice 30-footers? No, absolutely not. Because what happens is you're not shooting a jump shot when you're that young. You're not strong enough to get the ball there, and you end up shooting a throw shot or a push shot, and it Mm -hmm. just like it technically is terrible. So when you do move back in now, you've taken so many of these – the throw shots, you have your normal jump shot, you're shooting two different shots. So I never my thing is this if you can go to the 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 uh you know high school or college three-point line and you can make 45% from there, then you can make 40% from three feet behind there to me. You know what I mean? But if you're shooting 37 from the line. You can't, you're not going to go back five feet and shoot better. You know what I mean? To me, if you can shoot that 45 to 50% range from the normal three, then naturally when you move back five feet, you'll go down a little percentage, but I don't think there's a big drop off. So to me, the guys that are missing and the percentage drops way off, it's because they're shooting, they're not shooting jump shots. They're not strong enough to, to actually shoot those shots the way they're supposed to be shot. So I would never, ever consider that, you know? Yeah, and sometimes we have half-court throw shots because you do get those in the game and you play little games like that. But, you know, I, I again, man, I just think it's it's foolishness, man. You know, I watch guys, I, and I mean, we've criticized Tatum for doing this as well with eight, seven, six, six, six seconds on the clock and watching James Harden and, Oh, Kevin, and these guys are taking step back threes, two, three feet behind the line for the final shots of the games, man. Yeah. Like, this is a normal shot in today's game. And I can promise you it's it's a 30% shot. Yep. If you shoot, like, 35%, that's really good for that shot. I mean, I remember looking up Tatum on step back threes was like 27%. It looks beautiful when you make it, but you ain't making it that often, and that's the problem. That's the end of a shot clock shot. That's what you yeah. that's what you do when there's four, three seconds left, and you got to get a shot off. You just create some space, and you get a shot off. That's not, to me, when you have the ball with 15 seconds and you dribble and you're watching James Harden sit there and go like this and go like this when you could have, you know, it's, it's just foolishness to me. I just don't understand it, you know? Well, Dana, I think that's it for this week. Covered a lot. The history of the Big East, what uh, the younger players, what, you know, the new younger generation players, the the situation in L.A. and now Boston. Uh, Always, always great talking to you. Um, We're going to do this again next week. We'll have some more. The Celtics have some games. Uh, The Blazers come into town, then they got the Wizards and then the Kings. So a couple of winnable games for the Celtics. Muscles. Yeah, and we'll see if the Celtics can build on this and get some wins together and get away from 500 or 
Are they going to continue to be the up and down team that we've seen all season where they one minute you, you, you get that confidence in them and then they have like an unexpected loss. So we'll see. But again, th- Dana, thank you. And we will talk again next week on the Washburn Bar- Barrels Washburn podcast. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.